Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of The Road to Reality, featuring the teaching ministry of K.P. Yohannan, the founder and director of GFA. Now, here's K.P. with today's message. If you will listen close, I, I want to basically just share with you and, and talk to you as a brother in this pilgrimage serving Christ. You may not be a pastor or a senior pastor, doesn't matter, but Based on Acts 17, I am convinced your being here tonight, the Lord knew before the world began. And uh, my getting here, and the Lord has definitely a specific plan for our being together this evening. When I turned 50, I know I look 30, but I'm a little older than you <laughs> think. Um, that was 12 years ago. That I decided that day that I will try to be with the Lord and, and talk to him. And my ambition, honestly, my hope was, now I'm 50 and there has to be something new the Lord will want to share with me. Usually about once in 10 years, something you know, interesting and new I, I learned from the Lord for the future. And so being totally uh, involved and, and deeply committed, traveling nonstop, teaching, speaking, missions, writing books, I'm desperately passionate about reaching the lost world for Christ. Some two billion people need to hear the gospel. And, you know, that's all my life about. So naturally, I was looking for some new understanding, some new plan the Lord will have for our work. Plus, you know, what he want to tell me. Now, let me say this to help you understand the background. That I am not a spooky person looking for signs and wonders and neon lights. Uh, dreams, any of those things. I'm just normal, uh, in and out hamburger, you know, <laughs> just normal guy. So I read my Bible every day, and the Lord speaks to my heart, and, and dine to self, and I obey uh, the best I know. But something strange happened that day. It was quite late into the evening, afternoon, and did I dream? Did I doze off? What was it? I don't know, but it was a strange feeling that he asked me to walk with him. I could see him, but I couldn't see him. I could hear him, but I didn't hear him with my ears. And I said, Lord, where are we going? He said, just come and follow me. And we walked, and there was an incredibly beautiful grass field. It's kind of a, a sloping, such a hilly area. Um, everything was so absolutely amazingly beautiful. And we got to the plateau, the top of it, and he said, um, look, and what do you see? Strange. It was like a flashback. And I was a young boy, 14 kilometers from my home where I was born and raised. Uh, we have the ocean. So we watched the sunset. And here I was looking almost exactly the same thing. The sun was setting. And I said, Lord, the sun is setting. The next thing I heard, son, a few more days left, get to know me. And he left me kind of in a daze and shock. I must say, I don't have very many regrets in my life. You know, I came to know Jesus when I was eight years old. My mother led me to the Lord and I was called to serve him and I finished my high school. And so I, I didn't go around doing dumb things, you know, to say, oh my goodness, this and no. But that again reminded me 
God was not terribly worried about my performance or great works I do. And if you know me enough, you know, you know, in my entire life, I think, because of, you know, Gail Irwin and the board members insisted, I think we took one vacation, I think. He said he's going to kill me if I didn't do that. So, not that I'm against vacation, because this is, our life is consumed with following the Lord. But then, I didn't do these things as a worker of God. No. If I have the freedom from the Lord, I will tell you more about my personal life, and I don't have the freedom. But so for the Lord to tell me, the sun is setting, a few more days, son, get to know me. I was looking for him to tell me, I have such a huge plan for your life and for the ministry and nations I'm going to give you, the harvest is going to take place, and, and I'm with you, and all these um, things I want to hear. But none of those things. And to my brothers and sisters, our fellowship with God determines the quality of our life and our work. You read in Corinthians, which we preach about, a day is coming, everything about our life, the works, is going to be tested by fire. Not for the quantity, but for the quality of it. And God wants to be the most important person in our life. And Jesus very clearly said that. Unless you love me more than father, mother, son, daughter. And I wish he just ended there. He said, no. Even more than your own very life, you cannot be my disciple. Those who believe in me, those who allow me to embrace them and be embraced by them, the divine embrace. He said, out of their belly, the innermost being, rivers of living water will flow. The question is not about living water, the source of it, where this is coming from. Every plant which my father has not plantedly plucked out. It is not the plant is good or bad. That isn't the question. Who planted it? And this I say to you because, as I told you in the introduction, over these 40 years of serving Christ, how much have I witnessed, especially the work of God? Just the other day I got an email that really made me sad. When I was in Punjab, Northwest of India, coordinating the work of God. I had um, the responsibility and leadership and talking about the year 1972-73 years. Several teams, people from different countries under my leadership. And my associate, my assistant was this person from England. And he actually has a PhD from Oxford University. And I remember his brilliance about teaching Bible. The guy was absolutely smart. And as a matter of fact, you know, we will have 60, 70 people in our teams and he would teach the Bible. He actually takes the Greek New Testament, not English. And he simply would read from the Greek New Testament, translating in literal English. And he's able to communicate. I mean, he he could teach for two hours and you think it's two minutes. Just I heard. 
is a professor in England and he became an agnostic. I heard about it five years ago, but I was surprised to get a communication. But you see, th these kind of things uh, should not frighten us. And we are often worried about the amount of work we do. I mean, you know, I know this conference, um, uh, the, the theme is, let's go and possess the land. You know, let us go up at once and take possession. You know, the statement Caleb made. My angle tonight is talk about the life of someone who actually will fulfill the call of God. It's very personal, quite subjective. And this is because in my own journey, I'm learning it. That's the reason I'm not trying to talk down on you or make you feel less spiritual, anything like that. But you see, God would destroy the whole earth to save one family. Especially America, a country with our basic mindset is, you know, we are pragmatic. We don't tell me you can't do it. We can do it. It's a wonderful quality, by the way. I'm not against that. In England, you want to change something, you wait 20 years. But here, we change in 20 seconds. <laughs> I mean, I, it's a wonderful quality. But in God's economy, it don't work like that. This is a very sobering, if you listen to me close and tell you, much of our church services and our gathering, it is not about him. Unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Someone came to Dallas a few years ago and started a church. The next Sunday he had 5,000 people in his congregation. Now I know for sure. If he's not there teaching Sunday, 40% of the people will not be there. So who are we gathering to? Worship team? Brilliant music that entertains us? Or is it God who is a consuming fire that dwells in light that no man can approach? Where is the reverence? Where is the fear? Grace of God was preached to people who knew the fear of God. But today we preach the grace of God to people who actually think God is a little friend in our pocket. We dictate to him. Why? Because we have not come to know him the way God is. We are given a gospel that makes our life good and better. Help us. And worship is not following him. It's not about us. God is the audience, not us. And this I say to you because somehow we need to come to the place, myself and you and all of us individuals, your housewife or pastor or preacher, teacher, whatever, we somehow need to come to the place, recognize that God is looking for a mighty minority. You know that. You and I preach about Gideon's story uh, to uh, Noah and, you know, Paul and all that. And that's the reason why we need to learn the greatest need, as Jesus said, one thing you lack to Martha, he said. That is translating in simple language to know me. So with the tremendous challenges we face, the recent study shows that 82% of the young people that grow up in evangelical Bible teaching, preaching churches, 
they leave the church when they leave home. 40% or so will stumble their way back to some church in 20 years time. I ask you the question, is it because we lack Bible teaching? Is it because we don't have enough music? Is it because we don't have enough books in the libraries? I think we have to understand maybe one of the crises we face is we work for God, but we may not know him for him to live his life through us. And when the Lord speak to me that statement, it was not a warning or guilt trip or condemning me, anything like that. It was, you know, my heart was like a desperate, thirsty man. I just want to know him. And um, it made me to change my reading habits. It made me to say no to so many wonderful things I was involved with in the work of God. It made me to say no to a lot of friends. They're not evil, bad people. It made me a lot more alone and lonely. But I found him so precious. The only regret I have, I wish I heard him say that to me when I was 30. And I think when you look at the church, which I've been giving a huge amount of my time reading about the early church and, you know, the desert fathers and people that went before us. And then reading the scripture, book of Acts, again and again and again to see how 30 years these people lived. And, and I say, Lord, please help me understand more than words. And um, the amazing thing is, like you read in Acts 17, looking at these people, the, those who watched them said, here comes trouble. These world revolutionaries have come here also. Yet we know the, these people, followers of Christ, they were not the most brilliant, rich, affluent, scholarly people. As a matter of fact, you know the verdict they said. I mean, where, where on earth they get this kind of um, ability to say the kind of thing they are saying they have not been schooled. But then there is a sentence that continues. And they recognized they were with Jesus. The followers of Christ, the church that we read in the scripture, they had this unbelievable oneness and link with the living Christ. It was not their rich and famous and affluent and you know scholarly as such, but the life of Christ was so real, manifesting through the earthen vessels. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light dispels darkness. You don't have to, I mean, turn the lights off, it'll be completely dark. You turn one switch on, you don't have to say, I curse you, darkness, get out of here. You just don't have to do that. It just automatically dispels darkness. And But what is that? It is not self-created our ability and money and power and convincing philosophies and man's wisdom, it is his life becomes through this earthen vessel, our very presence. 
And I just want to quickly say this to you. Please, please, if your journey with the Lord is not where you think in your head where it is not, don't condemn yourself. Don't feel bad about it. It's like climbing a mountain. You know, you, you go 100 meters and um, then you look down, people are climbing, you know, they're, they're, and then you climb 1,000 meters and you look down and people are coming. Then you look up. You have a long way to go. So what I'm saying, wherever you may be, I want you to know the invitation is this. Come up higher and know me. And that is possible. And um, so what was Christ's life and his life about? How can I be like Jesus? He said, be like me. But he's God and I'm a fragile failing human being. But I think this is where in my personal journey with the Lord, of all the people in the New Testament next to Christ, the one that impacted me the most is the life of Paul. And um, as I read uh, his life and study, I'm constantly amazed by the earthiness, the humanness if you don't believe me, please read Second Corinthians. I read that once in every six months to stay normal in my head. <laughs> I mean, he, he said one time, I almost had a mental breakdown. We almost lost our mind. And you talk about the struggle and the pain and the agony, the sickness and abandonment and um, being misunderstood and, and on and on and like that. I mean, it's an amazing how he continued to but you will find what he wrote in Philippians is true. The life that is victorious and triumphant. See, the theory of chaos is true. Aftershock book, the secular book, if you read, I'm telling you, we have become victims of everything around us. We are not able to control anything. But someone who know him, no matter what changes around us, nothing shakes us. Why? Because the sovereignty of God is no more a theology or theory, but rather he is in us and we know that. And when I look at the life of Paul, you know, it, it, it encourages me a lot. Why? Because um, he says, I'm just a normal human being like you and I start from zero, nothing good in me. But he's the same person when these boys tried to cast out demons, you know, Samson's Kiva, remember that book of Acts? And the demon said, we know Paul and we know Christ he's talking about, but we don't know who you are. Demons trembled at his presence and recognized and heaven knew Paul. Yet Paul was far from being a superstar um, Hollywood, you know, actor type of person. The tradition says he was four feet six inches tall and bald and hooked nose and uh, bald legs. And he talks about people that accused him, believers, said, yeah, he can't talk right. His speech was contemptible. There was nothing impressive about him as a human being as such. Although he had a brilliant mind. And what was it that caused Paul, helped Paul to have such a life? That he will, from the day he met Christ, some three years he spent alone, obviously listening. But then his life come to an end after decades of non-stop 
moving and serving and you read his writings you can't help but find a man who lived with perpetual paradox on one hand he is like a bleeding animal just trail just continually moving you stone him and leave him dead no he'll get up and do it again and yet you find within this complicated world of his a man who is absolutely like a rock sober everybody around him screaming paul this is unfair you are sitting in prison please we are so sad he says don't worry about it in the book of philippians he raised you know all this happened you must know for the furtherance of the gospel his life was so lost in christ that nothing happened around him became the reason for him to make changes continually and be a defeated individual and what did paul do i mean he talked about greg glory or billy graham or you know huge names people doing all kind of things well, i mean how many miles paul traveled in his entire life you can figure this out how many congregations started but he sat in those prisons and wrote some letters that you are nice to talk about You've been listening to The Road to Reality with KP Yohannan. KP has been crisscrossing the globe for decades, challenging the church to be more like Jesus in their worship and service unto the Lord. If you'd like to learn more about The Road to Reality and the ministry of GFA, please visit us online at roadtoreality.org. That's roadtoreality.org. And then join us for our next podcast when KP will offer more biblical encouragement to help you grow in your relationship with God and live to honor Him along the road to reality.